What's going on, everybody? Chris here. Welcome back to the show. As you may know, we have quite a few shows under the Hacker Valley umbrella, and one of those shows is Hacker Valley Red. This last season was so awesome, we decided to bring it here just for you. We will be featuring legends of the offensive side of cybersecurity, so let's jump right in. It's me, Simone Biles. You might be wondering why you're hearing my voice on a cybersecurity podcast ad. Well, it's because I'm partnering with Axonius. Whether you're a gymnast like me, or an IT or security pro, complexity is inevitable. And I've learned that the key to success is focusing on what you can control. Go check out my video at axonius.com slash Simone. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com slash S-I-M-O-N-E. Welcome back to Hacker Valley Red, where we're exploring the nexus of offensive cybersecurity and humanity with a hacker's mindset. Again, I'm one of your hosts. I'm Chris Cochran. And I'm Ron Eddings. And let's go ahead and continue this journey of understanding and getting to know who hacks the hackers, the cybersecurity legends. A hundred percent. We had to continue this conversation with Tommy. We talked a little bit about the sponsor for this season. One of the sponsors is PlexTrack, where they are looking to unite the red and the blue side of the house. Ron, I know you've had experience on both sides of that coin. What is the most important aspect of having a medium in which to bring those two sides together? Well, like we heard in the previous episode with Tommy, the struggle of hacking organizations, them getting hacked, and really not having a line of defense. And then we saw things like HackerOne come into play. And this was connecting the bug bounty hunters with the teams and organizations themselves. But what about when the teams and organizations have their own red team? They have their own blue team. How do they work together? I hope that they're not using HackerOne and trying to bring external parties and internal parties in. But they have another solution that they can use to unite all of the internal parties needed. And I've seen that over and over again, working as an offensive operator, working as a threat hunter, no mechanism to ensure that the open ends are being closed out. And that's exactly what PlexTrack does. It brings the reporting, it brings the actionable items to both sides of the house and make sure that these open ends get closed out. 100%. If that is interesting to you, bringing those two sides together, be sure to check out PlexTrack.com. That's P-L-E-X-T-R-A-C.com forward slash Hacker Valley, and they'll take care of you. So with that, we got to jump back into this conversation with Tommy. He has so much advice to give, so many more stories to tell. So with that, let's jump right back in. One of the things that I love about hacking is the fact that I'm ADHD. When I find something that I like, I hyper obsess over it until I finish it. Like when it comes to games, when I start playing a game, I have to be the best at it. I have Mm. to reach that number one spot. And then as soon as I do, I lose interest in it because I see it as, okay, I'm done. There's not much more I can do in it. But when it comes to hacking, you can never finish. You can never learn learn everything there is about security. 
You can never learn everything there is about programming. You can never learn everything there is about, well, anything, vulnerabilities and stuff like that. And because of the nature of technologies evolving, even if you did learn everything there was about hacking IoT devices or something, well, tomorrow a new IoT device is out there. So you're right back to square one with at least that device. And so it's constantly evolving. It's constantly new stuff to learn. So it's one of the few things. Now, I do get burnt out at times. Like right now, I haven't done much hacking in the last like six or seven months. I've done some here and there, but I'm not spending anywhere near as much time hacking right now as I was, say, 18 months, two years ago. Now, a lot of that has to do with the fact that I've got a real job now just because I sit here for work all day. And the last thing I really want to be doing is sitting there and hacking for the two to eight hours after I've sat there and worked. Now, don't get me wrong. I still sit on my computer and stuff when I get done working, but I'm playing games. I'm Mm -hmm. reading the news. I'm reading things on Wikipedia. Like I've got a bad habit of seeing something or hearing something and then Googling it. I'll open up the Wikipedia page. And as I'm reading through this page, I'll get to something else that looks interesting. So I'll open it up in the new tab and, Like right now on my hacking machine behind me, I've got like 17 tabs open from Wikipedia because I started reading about King Edward II of England (laughs) in the 12, 13, 1400s and stuff. And it's like I end up in like just these dark holes of learning stuff and everything. So it's hard for me to get back into the hacking. And it really sucks because today's Thursday now. Earlier this week on Monday night, I got an email at like, I guess it was technically Tuesday morning. I got an email at 1230 in the morning on Tuesday morning about one of my private programs. They had just added a new website to their scope. And I happened to be sitting there. I wasn't doing anything on my game. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a look at this because they had also just doubled their bounty payouts across the board for this program. So I was like, all right, I'm going to take a look at this. The email came in at 1230. I started looking at the program at about 1.30 or so in the morning with the plan of spending 30 minutes to an hour looking at it just to get a feel of whether I was going to want to spend enough time on it to find some bugs, right? Over the course of that hour, I ended up finding a reflected XSS, a stored XSS, and an iDoor, and the iDoor is pretty impactful. Mm-hmm. Well, downside is all of these bugs I found within like a couple of minutes of each other. And they were not directly related, but they were all around the same functionality. So I didn't write up any of the reports yet. And it got to the point where I was like, all right, I'm kind of done looking at this area. So I'm going to go and start writing up the bugs and stuff. So I opened up the programs page. I clicked on submit report. And at the top, it's got the list of the assets for the company. And they want you to select which asset the vulnerability that you're reporting on is. And I start mm-hmm. scrolling through it. And it's like, this asset's not listed in there. And I get all the way to the bottom of it. And it's grayed out. And it says out of scope. And I was like, wait, what? Maybe I forgot to refresh the page or something. So I go back to, or I do a hard refresh. And then I scroll to the bottom and it's still saying it's out of scope. So I was like, what the hell? I went and checked my email. I hadn't gotten any notification that they had updated the scope or anything. So then I go back to their page on HackerOne and I scroll down to the bottom and it's got a message down at the bottom that says, due to unforeseen problems or something like that, we're having to take this back out of scope. Essentially, Mm -hmm. when they brought it into scope, 
so many people started hammering it with automated tools and stuff like that. that They were taking the website offline. It was extremely slow and all kinds of stuff. Like they were hitting it so bad that I'm pretty sure somebody was doing some HTTP request smuggling testing on this application because at one point while I was on there testing, I refreshed the page And, you know, most websites, when you're logged in, in the top right-hand corner, you'll see like your little, either your picture or your account's image or whatever. And I happened to look up at it. I was logged into somebody else's account that wasn't even mine. So somebody on there was able to successfully do an HTTP request smuggling attack and caused me to get a request from somebody else's account. But then when I refreshed the page, I was back into my account. My plan was to go back and see if I could figure out how to duplicate that. But the asset was removed from scope. So now I'm sitting here with some vulnerabilities and I'm like, all right, I'm really hoping that they bring this back into scope. And I'm really hoping that these bugs weren't reported by somebody else in the Mm. little like two hour long window that they had it open. And it kind of sucks. So I'm not very optimistic about it right now because HackerOne on each one of their programs, they've got like a little bit of stats about that program. And initially it had said that there had been 12 vulnerabilities submitted in the last 90 days. Well, when it updated later on that day or the next day, it was now up to like over 30 some vulnerabilities had been submitted in the last day. So it's like, I'm really hoping that they didn't submit the bugs that I found. Like I'm Mm -hmm. thinking that the reflected XSS, that one, I'm pretty sure somebody else found that pretty quickly and reported it. So I'm not counting on that bug still being available for me to report. Or if I do report it, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a duplicate. But I'm really hoping that for the stored XSS and the IDOR, when they bring this back into Scoop, I'm hoping nobody's reported those so I can at least make something. When it comes to bug bounty hunting, I try and make it so that it averages out to where I make at least a thousand dollars an hour for my effort. Mm, it doesn't right. always work. Sometimes I'm more, sometimes I'm less, yep. but I try and get it. So it averages out to about that. That's what a lot of people don't see is like all of the details that you're describing, like going into it from way back in the nineties and learning it through yeah. mentors, learning it the hard way, learning how to let go, learning how to readjust and take it back in, you know, take back in, hacking and computer security, but looking at your past and also looking at your future, if you were to speak to a young version of yourself, maybe like some of our listeners that are on this track of wanting to grow their offensive operation skills or red team skills or pen testing skills, what piece of advice would you give the younger version of you while you were walking down this path of learning about uh, the things that you were kind of hyper obsessed over? The first advice that I would give is don't expect success overnight. Also, don't let failures discourage you. Just because when it comes to hacking, as I said earlier on, you're going to fail significantly more than you're going to succeed. And the people that are successful in bug bounties are the ones that don't let those failures discourage them. And they're willing to sit there and take those failures as exactly what they are, learning experiences. And it's like, just because you failed hacking this one target or this exploit didn't work on this one target, doesn't mean it's not going to work on the next one or the one after that. The biggest thing when it comes to this and to be successful in this is you have to be willing to put in the effort. 
don't expect people to do the work for you. Don't expect people to just give you some magic payload that's going to start giving you critical bugs and things like that. I tell people all the time when they ask me, like, what is your advice to get started? And I tell them, go to HackerOne, read every single disclosed report Mm. that has ever been disclosed on HackerOne, Mm. because that serves a couple purposes. First, it shows you what companies pay for certain types of bugs. And second, it shows you not every disclosed report are valid bugs. You've got a lot of programs that when they get spam or really bad submissions that are like completely irrelevant, they'll disclose those too because they have policies of disclosing every bug that comes to their program. So it lets people see things like that as kind of a what not to do or how not to engage with programs and stuff like that. And it also gives you examples of real bugs. Most people want to spend all of their time when they're first starting out doing CTFs or hack the box or things like that. And I've got nothing against those platforms. I think they're amazing. And I wish we would have had something like that when I was a kid, but we didn't, of course. So if you wanted to learn that stuff when I was a kid, instead of doing it in labs, you had to actually hack live computers. Mm -hmm. That's why I was a black hat. But definitely make use of things like that. At the same time, most of the capture the flag things and the hack the box stuff, those aren't the types of bugs you're going to find in real programs most of the time. Now, you will find those types of bugs occasionally in real programs, but the best way to learn the bug bounty stuff is just go out there and do it. Practice by hacking real programs. Go to the DOD. It is a vulnerability disclosure program, so they don't pay bounties for the main public program, but they have the largest scope on any other program. Like their scope is bigger than Google's. It's bigger than Yahoo's and all of them. Just because for the DOD scope, it is every single military system that is on the internet. So they use every possible technology stack you can think of. So you've got a huge pool of things that you can attack to learn from. You might want to go after Windows and IIS servers. You're going to find plenty of them on the DoD. You might want to go after Tomcat servers. They're there. You want to attack Nginx and Apache servers. They're there. You want to do PHP websites, ASP, JSP, all of it. They're all in use at the DoD. And it's really cool to hack the U.S. military and government and not go to prison for it, you know. (laughs) But the biggest thing is just go out there and start trying to hack. Yes, you are going to fail. But every time you fail, you learn something. And if you're not learning something every time you fail, then this might not be the right field for you. Hacking is not for everybody. I'm a firm believer that to be a successful hacker, you've got to have a certain mindset and a certain way of thinking. And it's how can I break this? Or how can I make this do something that it's not supposed to do? I do believe that you can teach just about anybody to do this kind of stuff. But for them to be like, super successful at doing this, I feel that they're going to have to have that mindset. And not every aspect of that mindset can be taught to other people, you know, and it's, you've got to be willing to put in the effort. It's not going to be handed to you. It's not going to just fall in your lap and it's going to take a lot of effort, 
reading, like I was saying, read every disclosed report on HackerOne. Read every disclosed report that you can off of BugCrowd. Read every blog post you can about bug bounty write-ups and stuff like that. Even if they're not bug bounty related, go and read the write-ups from Tavis or Mandy or the other people that are on Google Project Zero and stuff like that. Just mm-hmm. because you never know when you are going to read a blog post that has some little tip or trick in it that is going to mean the difference between you successfully exploiting a bug and not being able to get that bug working at some point. And yeah. always keep revisiting stuff. There is nothing wrong with having to refer to a cheat sheet for XSS or SSRF bypasses and stuff like that. And then Mm -hmm. build out your own methodology. The way that I approach targets is not going to work for most other people. The beauty of bug bounties and why it's so successful is because each one of the three of us, we can all be given the exact same target, the exact same level of permissions and stuff like that. And each one of us are going to approach that target different. And we might find some of the same bugs, but odds are we're going to find different bugs because of the differences in how we approach the target, the differences in how we think and the payloads we think about using and things like that. So don't try and mimic somebody else and with the goal of mimicking their success, because odds are you're just going to be disappointed. Like Build your own methodology and it's okay to take parts of mine and take parts of Jason Haddock's and combine it together until you find your own flow of what works for you. Yeah. You got me fired up. I know you got a lot of folks fired up out there wanting to get into this game. It's an honor to chat with you, hear your story and hear your advice for the folks out there that want to stay up to date with you and everything you have going on in this crazy world of offensive cybersecurity. What are the best ways that people can do that? So the best ways to stay up to date with what I'm doing are mainly Twitter. I try and keep my social media accounts kind of like separated. Like my Facebook is for friends and family and stuff like that. My Instagram is for my cars mainly. Occasionally I'll share pictures related to hacking and stuff on there, mainly because I've been trying to get my follower count up there so that way I can start getting sponsors for my uh, Skylines and stuff. But Twitter is where I do my security-related stuff. So it's where I post the tips and tricks. It's where I will interact with people and answer their questions and everything. A major pet peeve of mine is people sending me DMs, though. If you try and DM me, first off, if I don't follow you, your DM is going straight into the people you may know or folders and stuff like that. So it doesn't even come to my inbox. Now, occasionally I do go in there and we'll look at the DMs that didn't make it into my inbox and make sure that nobody has DM'd me that I'm actually friends with or make sure there's not people in there that are like trying to go about it the proper way and are asking pointed questions like asking for help at a very specific thing instead of saying teach me to find criticals Mm -hmm. like you and things like that and the marriage proposals dude i get so (laughs) many marriage proposals of people offering me goats and pigs and cows and it's like (laughs) between that and people asking to borrow money i guess in certain parts of the world 
it's culturally acceptable to ask people that you've never met a day in your life for money. But here in the U.S., it's not. I've had people that I was actually friends with that sat there and last year, matter of fact, he sent me a message and he was wanting me to loan him like $100,000. And I was like, I'm sorry, but I don't loan money to people, you know? Yeah. Loaning money to people just opens up too many problems, whether they're friends or not. I, I don't even like to loan family money. I will if they need it or I'll give it to them or whatever, but I don't even like to do that. But this guy, we were kind of friends and I had taken him to some of the live events as my plus one and stuff, trying to help him get into the bug bounty stuff and everything. And he ended up going absolutely ballistic because I refused to loan him money. And it went as far as trying to go to my job and was emailing hundreds of people at my job, trying to get me fired from my job mm, because I oh wouldn't loan him money and stuff. And it's like, well, he burned that bridge. We're no longer friends. I will no longer help him and everything. But my biggest ask when it comes to people wanting to get information from me is post it publicly on Twitter because odds are you are not the only person that has that same question. And if you post it publicly, I can answer it publicly. And now other people are going to be able to learn from that answer as well. It reaches yep. a lot more people when I publicly answer it versus responding to all of these DMs. And I do my best that if you post a question to me or ask me a question on Twitter, I do my best to answer every single one of them. The only ones that I don't answer are the ones of people saying, can you please check my DM and mm -hmm. things like that? Yep. And it's like, I'm not going to. And if you start commenting on everything that I post, saying, sir, please check your DM. It's important, things like that. I never go, like, I might check it, but I'm not going to respond to it. I make it very clear on Twitter, like, at least every couple of months, I share something that says more or less, please do not DM me unless, like, we're talking in a tweet and I say, hey, send me a DM so we can work on this together or something like that. Right. Don't DM me. Ask me the questions publicly. But between that and then Twitch. I'm trying to get into streaming more now. I don't remember if I mentioned this before we started recording or not, but my plan is to start doing kind of like some classes things. So when it comes to Twitch, people can either follow you or they can subscribe to you where they pay like two or three or four dollars a month something like that i don't know how much it is to like actually follow people and my plan is that for all of my paid followers and stuff on twitter i want to start having these kind of classes where around the 15th of each month i will host a stream and it'll be open to anybody that are the paying subscribers and we will pick one bug class say XSS or SQL injection, SSRF, something like that. And we will spend two to three hours going over what the bug is, how to find it, some examples of where it's been found, some ways to bypass the common protections for that bug class, and just things like that. We would go over for the two or three hours. And then at the end of each month, like the 30th or 31st, I would want to have the second class related to that. And the first 30 minutes of that, we would spend rehashing everything we learned in the previous class about that mm -hmm. bug type. 
And then we are actually going to spend the time for the next hour and a half to two and a half hours looking for that bug type on bug bounty programs so that we can actually wow. try and put in the information that we are learning together on this. We're going to try to actually like make use of it and try to find these bugs. Now, I don't know how successful we're going to be in finding the bugs, but I think it'll be fun to kind of teach people and do it that way so that they can actually learn, like spend some time learning it. And then, as I said, the best way to actually learn this stuff is to actually try and do the hacking and stuff. So hopefully we'll get lucky and find some bugs. When it comes to those things, I do plan to record when I have these classes, but because I'm going to try and target them at my paid subscribers, I'll record it, but then... I'll wait about six months or so before I actually post the recording on like YouTube and stuff like that. If I was going to record it as soon as I do it and then post it the following week or something, then people don't really have much of a reason to want to be the paid subscribers and stuff. So I want to try and do some things like that. Those will probably be the two best ways to stay up to date with what I'm doing. But Twitter is by far the best way as of right now to either contact me and ask me questions or to just kind of see what it is that I'm working on at that particular time. Awesome. Well, we will be sure to drop your Twitter into the description for everybody to stay up to date with you, Tommy, and all the great work that you're doing. I appreciate it. And you got to come back whenever you start the Twitch stream just so we can remind everybody to join and check it out. I am down to come back anytime you guys want to have me back. I love doing podcasts and stuff like that. They're so much fun. And I'm not going to lie, I really like the attention that I get (laughs) from them. Uh, And that goes back all the way back into the 90s when I started out as a black cat. Because we were what a lot of the other hackers of the time would call media whores. So when I... When I ran the World of Hell hacking group, me and my main co-defendant that I was always hacking with was Rafa, Mm -hmm. Rafael Nunez Aponte. He is a Venezuelan national, and me and him spent just about every waking moment together hacking or just talking and stuff like that. And me and him, every time we would break into a high-profile company, the Fortune 500 companies or NASA computers or the Supreme Court military computers and things like that. We would, of course, go and get, at the time, the mirror was still attrition.org a little bit, but there was a different one called Aldas, A-L-L-D-A-S dot D-E, and they ended up changing their name from that to Zone H, and Zone H is actually yeah. still around. When we would go to their website and report the hack to get them to mirror it, or when we would run our script that would automatically submit it for them to review it and post it on there, we would also email reporters and news agencies and stuff like that. Like, hey, look what we just did, because we like to (laughs) get ourselves in the news and stuff, you know, like we were actually interviewed by CNN, like live on the air for CNN in September of 2001. So September 11th, 2001, we had the terrorist attacks here in the U.S., right? Me and a bunch of hackers from all over the world, we did what we felt was patriotic, and we formed a group called the Dispatchers. And our goal was essentially to disrupt the communications of Al-Qaeda and any other terrorist organization. Oh, wow. Because CNN and all of them were 
talking uh like in the days and weeks after that they were always talking about the fact that these terrorist organizations were since they had the internet they were being able to greatly increase their numbers and their influence because they could now reach many more people than they could just five to ten years before so when they kept talking about them using bulletin boards and websites and stuff to recruit new members to pass out their pamphlets that were like inciting these people to become the terrorist and radical and things like that so we started targeting in hindsight this was bad but we would target every middle eastern computer system Mm. like our goal was to take any of them off the internet completely we didn't Mm. differentiate and at the time we were still like in 2001 when september 11th happened i was 17 it was still kind of a kid but just about to be an adult and everything like that and i didn't rationalize and i didn't differentiate between the fact that there are just like any other profession or group of people there were good muslims and there were bad muslims and you can't count all muslims as being terrorists and stuff like that and i knew that back then but at the same time we were super upset about what had happened and the attacks on america and the number of lives lost and everything so our goal was to just disrupt the internet and the way we looked at it is we took the internet down in afghanistan or iraq or something like that then the internet's down for the entire country then the terrorists couldn't use it to communicate and we didn't think about the collateral damage Mm -hmm. that the vast majority of the people that we were impacting had nothing to do with terrorism and stuff so in hindsight it might not have been the best course of action but we definitely could have done it a little bit more targeted and everything like that but me and one of the other founders of the dispatchers his name was haka jack he was the leader of a hacking group called hackwiser they interviewed both him and i just our voices and stuff like that because we were active hackers and we didn't want to give up any information about us and everything but it was really cool to like hear our distorted voices on cnn and everything and they even wrote a book about us like hackers in general in 2002 an author named dan burton he used to be a writer for government technologies magazine and he ended up writing a book called a hacker's diary confessions of teenage hackers and chapter Mm -hmm. five of that book was titled world of hell and was just about our hacking group and everything like that so Mm -hmm. we love the attention back then and i still love the attention now and it's (laughs) nice the good thing about now is that because I've already gotten in trouble for everything that I've done. I've done my prison time and I don't have anything that I did illegally on the computer anymore that I can't talk about because Mm -hmm. I've already paid my debt to society and everything. And I think that's one of the big reasons that I've been able to make myself like semi-famous in the hacking world is because I'm able to openly talk about everything. And it's like, It's crazy because tons of the hackers that are around my age that are in bug bounties had a Mm -hmm. similar start, but they didn't get arrested. So they can't talk about their malicious hacks or what got them started and stuff like that. So I'm thankful that I have all of that behind me and I'm allowed to talk about it and everything like that. And I have people ask me all the time, if you could go back in time, would you change anything? And it's like, Would you not have hacked 
the bank in Colorado that ended up getting me sent to prison and stuff like that. And I always tell people that there is not a single thing that I would change from back then because what I went through back then impacted who I am now. Mm -hmm. And the people that are in my life now would not have been in my life had I gone a different route. I wouldn't have been a bad hacker and I would have stayed on the good side and wouldn't have been expelled from school, would have gone off to college and things like that. I would have just had a completely different trajectory for my life and stuff. And I wouldn't change any of it. <laughs> I'm content with being where I am today. We're going to definitely get you back on because, I mean, there's still so much that we got to unpack. And I feel like one hour, even five hours wouldn't be enough. So we'll, we'll break it up over many podcasts. But wanted to say thank you again, Tommy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for not banishing me when I sent you a DM. <laughs> but I really hope we get to do it again. And uh, with that, absolutely, yeah, we'll see everyone next time. Thank you all very much. Oh, man. I mean, we could have gone on forever with this episode. Sure. And we will. I mean, we're going to have Tommy DeVos, a.k.a. Doggy G, back on. And by the way, if you have any questions that we can push to Tommy for you on your behalf, we would love to ask him next time on our podcast. And you can reach out to us at podcast at hackervalley.com or join our Discord by visiting hackervalley.com forward slash Discord because... Speaking to Tommy is a breath of fresh air to hear the story that someone in the bug bounty industry has gone through from early in their life all the way to becoming a million dollar hacker. You don't really get that type of insight and stories unless you really focus on highlighting the human like we're trying to do with Hacker Valley Red. 100%. Just listening to everything that he was saying, it was truly inspiring because, I mean, taking someone that is that passionate about technology and security and not only making it entertaining, but also making it super impactful and valuable for everyone that's out there today. A lot of really good tips about being persistent, going through mm -hmm. failure, because it's not going to come overnight. Nothing great is done quickly. It takes time. So that's one of the things that I absolutely took away from both of these episodes was his story. We're definitely going to have him back on to answer the questions that you get sent to us through email, because there's so much more to unpack there with somebody like Tommy. With that said, I cannot wait for the next episode, but to also speak to Tommy again, we have more episodes to come on Hacker Valley Red and a full catalog of podcasts in general. We would love to share them with you and your network. The reviews, comments, conversations about Hacker Valley mean the world to us. So thank you for joining us. And with that, we'll see everyone next time.